Well, hello everyone. It's good to see you. Just a wee song came to mind. Um, the Saviour can lift every burden, the heavy as well as the light. His strength is made perfect in weakness, in Him there is power and might. The Saviour can solve every problem, the tangles of life can undo. There is nothing too hard for Jesus. There is nothing that he cannot do. That came at me in the prayer. That's true, isn't it? And an old guy, one of the old preachers that came to us, he used to say, Little is much when God is in it. That's a good saying, isn't it? Little is much when God is in it. Come on, we'll read in Hebrews. And uh, we'll start at chapter 12 and verse 1. We're going to try and finish off a series of four studies on the letter to the Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, the picture is of a stadium mobbed with people like you had at the European Cup final, all cheering on the folk who are taking part in the field. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as, son, as a son. Endure hardship as discipline, for God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers um, who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little time, while as they, for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. This is the word of the Lord. Um, the last handout two weeks ago, I've expanded it a wee bit. And uh, here's Mark 2 version. Okay. Ta-da. You passed this out, sir. Thank you. Aha. Uh-huh. I'll try and get things in some sort of order. Um, 
I said last time that the letter to the Hebrews rests on two great pillars like the Golden Gate Bridge or the Clifton Suspension Bridge and the two great pillars are who Jesus is and what Jesus wants um, Hebrews meets a dilemma for the, uh, the folk to whom it was addressed because most of them in the churches to whom he's talking were probably ex-Jews and they had converted to Christianity and the dilemma was should we totally give up Judaism because Judaism was a, a legal religion in the Roman Empire but Christianity wasn't it was illegal and the question was in the face of the persecution that we're going to suffer if we belong to Christ how big should our break be with Judaism should we go back to the synagogue and be a sort of Jewish sect called Christianity within the Jewish religion and shelter under the legal religion label um, and we don't know where it was addressed. It said to the Hebrews, it could be Hebrew Christians in Rome or anywhere else for, for a matter. And we look through the titles of Jesus that are presented. There's a wonderful presentation of the Lord Jesus. They're meeting a dilemma, they're facing persecution, they're breaking from Judaism. Because on the day of Pentecost, the blessing was not just for the Jews, but there were people there for the festival of Pentecost from all over. To all that are far off, and that excludes, ex includes us too. The, the Scots running about painted like savages and scaring the life out of the Roman army and stuff like that. Um, it was for all the nations. Um, who Jesus is last time this time what Jesus wants and the calling of Jesus it's, the, the, the whole letter is basically a word of encouragement um, exhortation it's uh, calling the Christians to live as Christians and, and live as they were meant to live as Christians before the Lord Jesus uh, encouragement's a great thing, you know. It was a pal of mine, Derek Bingham. He, he went home to be with the Lord just a few years ago. And he wrote a smashing book with the title Encouragement, the Oxygen of the Soul. Isn't that good? When somebody comes up and, you know, puts their hand on your shoulder and says, well done. Hey, that's nice. When you were a teacher and you were encouraging the pupils, um, it was very good to give encouragement. Encouragement is, the, according to Derek Bingham, the oxygen of the soul in a spiritual sense. And so what I'm going to do is go through some of these uh, requirements of Jesus and the exhortations through the writer to the Hebrews whom Martin Luther said was Apollos from Acts 18 and uh, the call to attention comes I'll just quickly go through some of them tonight with you um, we'll deal with the first ones fairly quickly number one was the call to attention 
we must pay, chapter 2 verse 1, we must pay more careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. The King James Version gives the impression that the things drift away from us, but the actual Greek text would favour the idea that we can drift away. Um, if you're interested in the grammar, it's an aorist subjunctive passive first person plural. <laughs> <laughs> In order that we do not drift away. Um, and he talks about the message, this teaching, we must pay attention to what they've been given. And the message is there, and the salvation is there. And the witness is there because um, there are those who were witnesses to these folk of the goodness of God and the experience of personal salvation. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? That's one of the unanswered questions of the New Testament. It's a good question when you're preaching in the open air or anything like that to say, how are you going to escape if you neglect so great salvation. It was announced by the Lord, confirmed by those who heard him, and testified to by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. And they can be practical gifts. You know, the guy said, when I became a Christian, the Lord worked a miracle in my family life. He turned beer into furniture. <laughs> Stuff like that, you know. So we're called to pay attention. Now there's a call to rest in chapter 4. Chapter 4 is all about rest. And that's a welcome topic, isn't it? A Sabbath rest for the people of God. And he looks back to the folk who were in the desert in the Old Testament times when Moses led the Israelites in the desert. Um, but the, the message they heard was of no value to them because they didn't mix it with faith. You know, if you're if you're if you're a cooker, a cooker, well, I'm not a cooker, a baker. <laughs> if you're a baker, uh, you've got to mix in the right ingredients. There's no faith in the mixture, so therefore it didn't rise. <laughs> um, it says uh, the message they heard was of no value to them. Because those who heard did not combine it with faith. And then he talks about the present experience of rest. And then he goes on in that chapter to say there is a rest for the people of God even beyond this life. You know, some folk are worked to death in the Christian church. It seems in every church there are just a few folk who do all the work. Have you ever noticed that? And he says you have to seek this rest. You know, the rest through Joshua uh, and Moses was incomplete because the folk didn't mix it with faith. And we have an experience of rest. It's wonderful to rest in Christ, to lean in the everlasting arms, to know that the Lord is in what we're doing. It's absolutely wonderful. But the, great, the greatest thing is this. There's better further on. You know, we're going to be with Christ for all eternity, the call to rest, that's the second one, move on Mitchell. The call to work, chapter 6. The call to work, chapter 6. Let us leave the elementary teachings, go on to maturity. Um, and then he, he, raises a, well, he raises a big issue in verse 4. 
He said, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened and who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. Because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Now, that, this is very serious. And the whole question arises in Christian work, I can look back to lots of folk who were with me in the work and are no longer with me. And the whole theological question comes up, you know, where do they stand before God and where will they stand before God? Are they lost or are they... Are they just backslidden? And will they come back to God? Who can tell? Well, it's a hypothetical case here. I mean, my own firm belief is uh, I don't accept the whole of Calvinistic teaching. I don't accept the double decree. But I do accept um, the perseverance of the saints. I think the Lord Jesus becomes our shepherd and he looks after us. And no one's going to snatch us out of his hand. And uh, we can think of some of the hymns, My name from the palms of his hands, eternity shall not <coughs> erase. Um, impressed there forever they stand in marks of indelible grace. Yes, I to the end shall endure, as sure as the earnest is given. More happy, but not more secure, the glorified angels in heaven. You know, um, so that can, I believe in that. I believe that God, who began a good work in me, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And although I'm a poor representative of Christianity, sometimes and lose a head and stuff like that, and some occasionally get angry about things that I see. There's things I want to do and things I want to alter, <laughs> and uh, but all the same. We're not perfect, you know. Used to have that sticker in the car, be patient with me, God is not finished with me yet, you know. <laughs> and you keep hoping for that. And he says, right, work at it, work, work. And, but he puts up a hypothetical case and he says, um, uh, verse 9, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case. In other words, he's encouraging, encouraging them to, to fear God and to continue to serve him and to work for him. Um, and it's a hypothetical case. He says, we are confident of better things in your case, but there's no fault in setting out um, the dangers of being slack in your Christian ideas and service. And then there's another one, there's a call to perseverance. Hebrew 10, 22-25 Let us draw near to God, let us hold unswervingly let to, to the truth, to the hope. Let us consider how we may spur one another on, how we might incite one another to love and good deeds. And uh, let us not give up meeting together, but let us encourage one another. Um, our godly communion, our hopeful confession, our serving companions, and our growing confidence. He says, let's do this, let's do this. It's the call, uh, the call under God um, to persevere. There's contemplation. Um, Chapters nine, chapter ten, um, the call to perseverance, the four lettuces, and then uh, the call to discipline in chapter twelve. 
um, he talks about this great cloud of witnesses there's contemplation he says therefore since we have we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses think of it you know think of uh, all the witnesses we have all the books I've read these old guys these wonderful old Christians that wrote all these books that I've read you know I want to meet them someday and I want to meet the Old Testament prophet I'm going to get a hold of Ezekiel I say right Ezekiel I need half an hour of your precious time oh precious it's, it's the whole of eternity could you please explain chapter 1 to me I have no clue what it means <laughs> you know and uh, we've got this great cloud of witnesses and he says we've got a great cloud of witnesses people like old Bishop Polycarp of Smyrna you know the old the old the Christian leader and the, the, they said we'll let you off and you can walk away if you just renounce Christ and he was an old old man and the fire was burning and already he put him on it and he said 80 and 6 years have I served him and he has done me no wrong how can I thus deny the one that gave me life and he died praising the Lord you know are the two lasses staked in the solway and drowned because of their Christian confession there's such a great cloud of witnesses there's contemplation and there's competition we're running a race you ever ran a race? You know, we used to run into school sports and stuff like that and run into Sunday school trip and all that kind of stuff. You ever run a race? Um, I ran the Glasgow Marathon once. Uh, you wouldn't believe that I could run a marathon, could you? <laughs> my time, my target time was four hours and I did it. Three hours and 56 minutes. <laughs> And I uh, hit the wall, uh, and uh, all that stuff, you know. And we, it's not a sprint, it's, it's, a, it's a marathon. Let us run with patience. Um, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, fix our eyes on the finishing line. There's contemplation, it's a competition, there's a confiscation. He says, throw off everything that hinders us. And the sin that so easily entangles, you've got confiscation. Because you, you don't run the marathon with tackety boots on. You run the marathon slimmed down. I was only a stone overweight and I ran the marathon. And uh, <laughs> that's the fittest I've ever been in my life. Uh, and uh, around that time, I was moving house somewhere soon and I had a medical and it was about a month time so I jogged every morning did three miles every morning before breakfast and uh, I went to see the doctor for the insurance you know I was scared they would put extra money on the insurance because I was overweight you know and uh, he says he looked at me you know, and he says uh, let me let me take your pulse oh 62 See, that's an athlete's pulse. <laughs> he didn't know I'd been running like mad for a month. And, <laughs> and then he, he took my blood pressure. 120 over 80. He says, that's perfect. He says, right, stand in the scales. <laughs> and I stood in the scales. And he looked at the scales and he said, I'll put you down as prime Scottish beef, he said. <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't put anything extra on but yeah, I had that in mind you know he's you, 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 telling you here you're running a race 
You have to put aside these things that would weigh you down and you have to concentrate. And when I went to London Bible College, I got one of my pals who was after crafty to do me a card, which I put in my bedroom wall. Consider him, Hebrews 12.3, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The call to perseverance, the call to discipline. And the basis of discipline um, is explained in the remaining verses there after chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. Um, There's the the benefit of discipline. He says... um, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And the Lord punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Now that's wonderful, you know. Discipline's a good thing. Um, when God knocks us into shape. Uh, Old Samuel Rutherford, when he he wrote, he wrote some marvellous stuff, but one of his sayings was, is God ploughing in your life? That's a good question. Ask yourself that question. Is God ploughing in your life just now? So Rutherford said, well, be encouraged. He purposes fruit. He only ploughs in our lives when he purposes fruit. There's going to be a harvest and you submit to his discipline now and you'll be like good soil prepared for the fruit to come the call to discipline so the the basis of discipline is scripture he's quoting a verse from scripture my son do not make light of the Lord's discipline scripture and sonship sonship he punishes everyone he accepts as a son it's one of the proofs that we really belong to God when he disciplines us that's the basis of discipline scripture and sonship and then there's a bond of discipline father and son he says if you you don't submit to discipline if you're not disciplined it's two way you're behaving like illegitimate children and not true sons and we all had human fathers who disciplined us well nowadays they've, they've knocked out the window you know if you slap a child you can go to court nowadays and it was father and son that was the bond of discipline and then there's the benefit of discipline he says we've all had human fathers we, we respected them for their discipline how much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live God's discipline is never fickle God's discipline always has a, a good purpose a good end point in it he says no discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful later on it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it that's a great thought the, the Greek verb here is gymnazo. you know our word gymnasium it comes from gymnazo, means to exercise and <clears throat> affliction discipline and punishment are God's gymnasium for the spiritually fit uh, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who have been trained by it 
So therefore, you know, therefore the therefore, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. <laughs> uh, terrific stuff. And then there's a call to blessing in, in chapter um, 13. It's really a, a, an exhortation that is basically a prayer. And I think I've spoken to that about this as well in the church. Chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. I'll just read them. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Well, isn't that terrific? He wants us to be blessed. This is the benediction. May this happen. As it's really a prayer. And it's a prayer to the source of blessing. God himself. What kind of God is he? Well, it's there. He's a peacemaking God. And we live in an atmosphere of warfare, strife and trouble, don't we? But he's a peacemaking God. Um, that's the first thing about him. And he's a powerful God. He's the one who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus. That's the most powerful act in the whole history of the world. That Christ rose from the dead. That great shepherd of the sheep. What, what is God like? <sighs> well, first of all, he's a peacemaking God. He's a powerful God who raised Christ from the dead. Um, and he's a a pastoral God, he's like a shepherd that great shepherd of the sheep he's called the great shepherd the chief shepherd and uh, what's the third one? the good shepherd in chapter 10 in the teaching of John's gospel uh, the Lord Jesus taught us that he was the good shepherd um, <clears throat> and that's the 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 call to blessing, the source of blessing is God and the, the scope of blessing may he equip you with everything good that's lovely God only wants our good he's an amazing God isn't he uh, may he equip you he uses a fantastic verb Greek. it's used in the gospels when Jesus is walking by the, the sea of Galilee he saw the disciples they were fishermen, catartidgering their nets. <laughs> what were they doing with their nets? They were mending them, they were washing them, they were repairing them, they were getting them ready for a harvest. They were getting back into shape for the next sail, sailing of the, of the fishing boat. Right? And it also occurs in uh, Galatians 6.1 Brothers, if somebody's overtaken a fault, you who are spiritual, catartidgering. Get him back in his place. Get him working for God again. Get him serving Christ again. Get him effective in the gospel again. And it's used out with the New Testament, catartidzo. It's used in profane medicine. Catartidzoing somebody was putting a, dislo a dislocated limb back into its place in the body. I know I dislocated a guy's throat at football once. I brushed past him. Um, in my story and he dislocated his shoulder and he was off work for five weeks after that was the first day of his holidays I did that to him 
But a very decent a boy is tennis ticket from him and we're a good pal. <laughs> it was only an accident. But he got his shoulder pretty said it was murder in the back end. He got it back in its socket again. Which was lovely. And this is what he says, May God equip you, may he put you back in your place in the body of Christ that you might be effective. Um, and he says, uh, May he work in us what is, what is pleasing to him. And that's a wonderful thought as well. You know that you can please God by your life. That the God of the Bible is not a harsh, vicious, vindictive, angry God all the time who's going to beat you up. He, he, wants, he wants you to live so that he is pleased. You know, my old man used to come and watch me playing football. I played for the primary team at the time. But he would never stand alongside the football pitch. Partly because he, he hated the idea of ever speaking to a teacher. The you know, teacher was too high in the echelons for him to speak to. But I used to look and see him over there. And then he used to occasionally see at lunchtime, Are you played no bad today, Jordy? And my heart flushed with pride at the thought that my father thought I had pleased him by how I played football that day. And you know, God wants us to live in such a way as to please him. Eric Liddell, the great gold medalist, 1924 Olympics in an event he never even trained for. <laughs> when I run, and the most awful running style you ever saw, he was all arms and legs and everything. Um, when I run, I feel his pleasure, he says. And when you run this week, I pray that you'll feel God's pleasure. It's a great letter, isn't it?